Well, good morning. Well, what we need to do today is actually we need to open up just with some prayer, obviously, over the Pittsburgh situation and what's happened out there. Just want to lift up that synagogue and just ask God's uh, grace on the city of Pittsburgh and just kind of the, what's been happening there. Some of you guys may not know what that is. Just a synagogue had a, uh, a horrific, tragic event uh, that occurred in it as a shooter had come in. And so we're just going to lift up the those uh, families that lost loved ones, the police officers that were harmed as well. And we just want to ask God's grace. So if uh, you're at home or you're here in the room, would you just join me? Father, we just come before you right now, and we just, on behalf of our country, on behalf of this synagogue, on behalf of the police officers and all those that were harmed, we just ask for your grace, and we ask for your guidance and your leadership. We pray for uh, just uh, your uh, ever comfort to be upon those who lost loved ones, Lord, that you would help our our communities and our country come together and um, kind of begin to drop the um, the versus mentalities that are going on amongst us of people versus people and all of this different kind of infighting that seems to be happening. Instead, God, would you bring us to a place where we listen, we're slow to speak, uh, slow to anger, and God, where we're willing to uh, begin to build relationships again with those we may disagree with with, with those um, in this world that we may not um, connect well with. And God, for the, just the, hor- the horror and the evil that has gone there, God, we trust it in your judgment that you will judge it rightly, but also, Lord, at the same time, we trust that you will bring your grace and, and your truth to bear in the scenario. And so we ask for truth to come out. We pray for grace and love. We ask for help now in this time for that community. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen, amen. Well, I mean, going, turning from there, we're turning back to this is our final week in Acts to the Future. We are closing up this, this portion of the book of Acts. We'll return to Acts later, but we're looking at the end of this series in particular as we're talking about the church of the past being the church of our future, what happened in the first century being what really is a setup for our current life. And it makes me think of the, I, I love Back of the Future. Any Back of the Future fans out there who just have enjoyed Back of the Future? Uh, my favorite is actually the third movie, but my favorite favorite line is um, is actually from Biff, you know, where he's always saying, hey, Marty, or hey, McFly, we're going to make like a tree and get out of here. And I love that just because it's just, an, just a mess, right? He just shows how dumb he is. And what my favorite, actually, beyond that sign is, is my favorite thing is when old Biff meets young Biff and he uses that line. He's like, it's, it's leave, you moron. He's hitting him with his cane. And it's just a picture of his inner dialogue as old Biff realizing how dumb he was as a young person. And it's like, I love that because you can sound so moronic sometimes when you're a kid and you grow up and you realize that, that was dumb. But, but those kind of jokes are kind of funny. Like if you're a scientist, you may not be a Biff, but you say, hey, let's make like an atom and what? Split. That's right, split. So then you've got this one, like let's make like a bakery truck and haul buns. I like that one. That actually is a good one. So, um, and then there was this one, let's make like a baby and... Head out. That's right. It's, it's head out. Good job. Somebody knew that one. Good one. And then there's the good old, only pastors are allowed to use this one. Let's make like the Red Sea and split and apart. Or like, is that, apart our ways. You know, it's that, it's that kind of stuff. So you get this whole thing, but make like a tree and get out of here. You know what another weird one would have been? Like if we'd gotten in a time machine, a DeLorean, and gone back to the first century and sat down and met that 3,000 people that uh, Jared had introduced us to that had come to Christ in one sermon, insta mega church in, the, in, in Jerusalem, and people are gathered and hearing about Jesus and worshiping. That'd be so crazy. Say you meet one of them on the street, you went back in time, you're like, hey, so what time is church? And they would have looked at you like, what are you talking about, moron? Hey, hey, when's church? 
hey, where's the church? Because in the first century, that's not how that's used. We sound so weird when we talk about what time we're going to church and, hey, when's church? And, hey, I'm going to the church. Because that isn't how the word is used at all. Somehow it's gotten mixed up into our world today that that sentence makes sense to us. And it makes as much sense as make like a tree and get out of here. Because really the truth is that the church is not something we go do. The church is something that we are. The church is not some activity we participate in and then close the book on and go home like a movie or school. The church is something that we are. We don't just go do church, we are the church. And so a question begins to rise, well, what does that really look like then? If you just don't go to church, and, it's, and trust me, I'm going to go through this message, it's going to be hard for me to not reference like the times of church and things like that, because that's just where our culture is at and how we've lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. But if we step back and we say, okay, if we are the church, what does that look like? Now, Dr. Luke wants to inform us. Um, again, we are in a book called the book of Acts. And if you want to find what he's written, it's here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Grab Bibles and your seats or open your app up to that uh, particular passage. But Acts is, a t- is the second part of a two-volume work by a, by a physician named Luke. He was a, uh, a man commissioned by a Roman official to write out what, what the history and the, of the church is and what the history of Jesus is. And he's done major research, knew the apostles, knew the apostle Paul personally, had traveled with him. He was in Jerusalem to interview lots of people, had gathered all kinds of documents. And so this is his historical and researched paper basically two parts first part on the works of Jesus and who he was in his life and death and resurrection the second part on what he would do through the church and so we are looking at the second part that is the book of Acts and so Dr. Luke has just informed us these 3,000 people have come to faith and now he's going to dive into the way that they were living life as the church being the church and so there are some basic characteristics we want to examine and we want to test ourselves as Olive Branch and as an as American churchgoers as the Christian church in the United States we want to ask ourselves how are we doing what does this look like how does it compare to these basic things and so what does that look like it basically looks like this and in a nutshell it looks like living the way of Jesus together If we're going to be the church, this really means that we are going to live out the way of Jesus. This this way that he lived, this way that he taught us, and we're going to live that out together as a gathering. And so it begins not just by simply, oh, we're just going to live it out, but it begins by what we're doing right now. we got to learn the way of Jesus together. You see, we're not born into knowing the way of Jesus. You're not just like coming out and you're like this good person. No, my kids had, didn't have to be trained how to lie. I didn't have to be trained how to, how to deceive. We all do this naturally. We're, we're bent. We fail each other. We fail God almost as if we are in default mode. And Jesus comes along and he's going to reset this and, and he's going to teach us a better way, a way of really living. And, and the way that he describes this, he calls it the apostles' teaching. In fact, it begins in Acts 2.42, says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread 
and to the prayers. And so what we get is this kind of core essence of devotions, core essence of things that these men were doing. Now, there's a lot of weird words in this very small verse. For example, the word apostle. A lot of us know what an apostle is, but what does it mean? It really is a leadership position given to the early church by Jesus. He has selected 12 men, and he had said, you guys are going to be my eyewitnesses as you go into this world, and you're going to proclaim what I taught, how I lived, and ultimately their eyewitnesses to his resurrection. The resurrection wasn't made up in a box. It was seen as a historical event that they saw and experienced themselves. And they were going to the world to proclaim it to everyone that they went to. And so there's this core aspect that the apostles' teaching is really the story and the message of Jesus as it affects our world. And in fact, you and I have an opportunity to get, dig into that. In their world, they gathered in a large group, uh, roughly around 3,000 Solomon's portico, which would have been this large open-air pavilion in the temple where they would hear uh, one man standing, screaming out without a sound system about the teachings of Jesus so everybody could hear him. You imagine that. Why, why does preaching always sound so angry? Is because preachers didn't drop the screaming when they picked up the microphone. They just kept yelling at people. And they yelled because there was no amplification. And so here these guys are standing, preaching the message of Jesus. And, and this is still common today. Many people have to gather to hear that message. Early in the morning, somewhere in the middle of the desert, out in the middle of Africa, likely in southern Sudan, the sun rose and some people woke up and brushed off their, their clothing and got and rolled up their mats and gathered their families and in groups of people set out on the road, not by a donkey, not in a car, but on foot. And as they traveled down mile after mile, they had one thing in their mind. They were going to go gather as the church. They were going to gather together to sing and celebrate what Jesus had done, to help one another out. And they would travel for hours and hours. They would travel under difficult situations just to worship God and hear the teaching of the Bible. That is devotion, isn't it? That's happening every single day. Sunday, every time they gather to hear this, they are, they are pressing forward. Some people through persecution, some people through all kinds of angles just to hear that. For us, we live in a world where you are surrounded by the apostles' teaching. Literally, you're surrounded by it. Watch, just reach under the chair, pull out one of those Bibles and open it up to the page called the Table of Contents. Just do that for me. Grab your, look, just grab it and look at your Table of Contents really quick. And what you'll find there is a list of the books. You'll have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And just look at that New Testament section. What you'll see very clearly is you've got four opening names. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Matthew is an apostle. John's an apostle. Luke, we already know, he's a doctor who's researched and traveled with the apostle Paul. He's in, researched and talked to the other apostles. And then you've got Mark. And Mark actually uses this word at the beginning. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of Mark. He defines, or the Son of God, he defines the entire book as his gospel. As the gospel of Jesus. Now Mark is, is sitting out like you are, listening to Peter preach. All the story of Jesus, and he's writing it down. And so what we have is the collection of Peter the Apostles preaching about Jesus in the book of Mark, known as a gospel. What is this thing gospel? 
It's, it's the truth, right? We hear that. Well, the word gospel is a translation. It actually comes from the old English good spell or good story, or we would hear it today as good news. And, and really, it comes from this big Greek word, euangelion. It's kind of a strange term, but it, it was used in the term of, a, of an announcement made by a conquering king. Rome would march into a a village that they had conquered by their armies. And as they would travel in, one person would shout the euangelion, the gospel, the good news, that you have been conquered by Rome. All of your oppressive barbarian leaders have been destroyed. You are now free to walk amongst in peace in the Roman Empire. If not, you're slaves, right? That was kind of the gospel of Rome. Only apostles because Jesus told them to have taken this to go announce the good news, the announcement of the kingdom of God. You see, the announcement is this, guys. God has come in Jesus Christ, and he has conquered your oppressor. He has destroyed the one who is controlling your life, namely your failures. He has destroyed sin, and he has destroyed death. No longer do they have to oppress you. He has overcome them for you. Rejoice and be free in the kingdom of God. That's the good news of Jesus, and they've told it in the life of Jesus, in the teachings of Jesus, in his death as he bore our sin and conquered our sin and rose from the dead conquering death. And those four good newses, those four gospels proclaim that teaching the apostles. goes on to teach more in the book of Acts as we're looking at, and then you have all of Paul the apostles' teachings right there and all those weird names, Corinthians, and, and, and uh, you know, you've got... Just hesitations. I'm just kidding. That's not there. Uh, Just all kinds of weird ones that Galatians, they're all letters to cities. And then you move into Hebrews, and we're not sure who quite wrote that. Some argue it's Paul. Some argue it's it's Luke. And it's just a whole debate because it's not quite clear. But then you dive further, and you've got Peter there and John there. You've got the brother of Jesus, James and Jude. You have the teaching of the apostles literally surrounding you available far more than any other time period. They they would write it down so that we would have it now, and we have it. In fact, as Americans, you have it, again, surrounding you. Just open open your phone up. It's floating in the air, receiving on apps and the internet, proclaimed on radio broadcasts. Everywhere you turn, you have the opportunity to be people devoted to the Word of God. Devoted to the apostles' teaching. Give you a few of those areas right now. Right now on YouTube, and actually pretty much I haven't been able to find a place the Bible Project isn't yet. But if you you can get apps and it's got the Bible Project on it. Free videos that literally walk you through pictorially the whole themes of the Bible. Because let's face it, there's some weird stuff in the Bible. You can admit that. It's okay. There's strange stuff in the Bible. There's like, what is this? You don't get it. I don't understand why it's there. What is God saying? And they kind of walk through how it fits together and how it all works out because they believe the Bible is one story and they start working through that narrative and those themes. You should watch these. They're great for an introduction. Right now, media is like a Christian Netflix we offer to you guys as a congregation as part of Olive Branch. And you get to open it up and you can drown in Bible studies, literally. There are just video Bible studies 
everybody is created by all kinds of people. There's no excuse that you don't have something at your fingertips to study. There's different books that are available, whether it's Cold Case Christianity on proving the existence of God and, and the resurrection of Jesus, Messy Grace on how we should love and care with the LGBT community and how what does the Bible say about that. Acts is just a straightforward Bible study. Then there's Bible commentaries for backgrounds because guess what? We don't live in their time period. Their time period is different than ours. All of this is available. All of it's right there on Amazon. All of it you can buy today. All of it you can have. Some, most of it's for free. You have entire Bibles filled with notes to help you understand what it says. Guys, you live in a time period where you can be devoted to the apostles' teaching and you don't even need me. That's scary for me, okay? I'm like, uh, why am I up here again? And the answer is I'm here to train you guys to be self-feeders. I'm training you guys to be mature Christians who can handle the word rightly so that when you see someone come to know Jesus, you can help them grow. And I'm here to help continue to equip you and grow us as a church so that we can dive in deep. I should be making the podcasts and stuff that help you guys out. That's the point. The, the pastor's job has expanded so much in so many amazing ways. We continue to take what the apostles' teaching is and put it at a level that we can take it and live it out. So we, too, can be devoted to the apostles' teaching. We don't have to be like, we don't have it, we don't know what it is. No, we all have it. And so that should lead us to this opportunity, not only to know it well, to get excited about it, but then to step into the next portion, which is celebrating the way of Jesus together. And I'll tell you what, these two words, celebrate and church, they, according to the culture, they don't go together. Isn't that true? Like when you say, oh, I'm going to church, people are like, oh, have fun with that funeral. You know, it's like, go ahead. Because people don't think of church as a place where you're supposed to be excited. It's a place that you're supposed to be told how evil you are, that you're going to hell, suck on a pickle. You know, that's kind of the idea that I, I imagine a lot of people think church is. It's how it's kind of described out there. We're all sitting austerely, like, don't you dare smile and crack. Did he just speak Latin? I don't know. It's like, that's like, what is this? That's not church. Look, the church, you can go to that church. But I wouldn't recommend it. I, I would recommend you come to a place that is living and celebrating the way of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't die on a cross to turn us into austere, closed, and sad people who are mourning. And yeah, and the funeral is more fun. No. He's called you to life. He's given you purpose. He says that, listen, death is defeated. You have no one you have to fear. When you die, you inherit everything you've ever desired because you have heaven, you have eternity, you have Jesus, you have everything you've been called to live for. And guess what? What are we afraid of then? That's something to celebrate. My sin, my guilt, gone. My fear, overcome. My death, finalized, I have life coming beyond it, guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. And when we gather together, this should be an effervescent joy and energy that flows from people who are the church. And that means, yeah, we should be smiling. We should be pumped. We should be clapping. It should be more exciting in here than for Boston right now. That hurt me too. <laughs> but we have something greater than another World Series title. 
We have the king of the world who has given us his life to live and do great things in this world. He gave us something to celebrate. And so the church gathered in celebration. Notice, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Again, did I say there are weird things in the Bible? This is weird. Like, when's the last time you heard the word fellowship outside of, like, you know, your law fellowship, uh, if you guys are legal people, or maybe some kind of school thing, or church, right? When we're, when we're gathered together to hear the message, we, we hear the word fellowship. You know, the only other place I can think of the fellowship coming out is the Fellowship of the Rings. Any Lord of the Rings fans in here, right? There it is. The Fellowship of the Rings. What's a fellowship? A fellowship is a gathering people together for a committed cause and purpose. And the enjoyment of that purpose, especially when it's attached to this idea of breaking of bread. I think that's the weirdest thing. Why we didn't translate that, I don't understand. Because it sounds like some kind of Panera cult. You know, like we're going to sit around and just go, give me the baguette. Okay, I'll take another baguette. We're just part of breaking the bread. We're daily devoted to breaking bread. This is like, doesn't make any sense. It means to sit and have a meal. We know this, but... When we sit and have a meal together in fellowship, we're committing ourselves together for the sake of celebration. There was a sense of joy and energy that was coming in the church because we were saved and we had these meals. It was attached to communion. You want to talk about the one moment we're like all excited and communion comes. We're like, ooh, this is a holy moment. This is God's body and blood and no, they had it in meals, probably sitting around tables when they were laughing and, and singing and enjoying, and they took bread. And they, you know, they did it in smaller groups, likely, and remembered. And I love it when we do it in a small group setting because you can actually have like a piece of bread and, and actually eat a piece of bread and have a little bit of juice. And you can actually drink a cup and you can celebrate. You know, when we're in a large setting, you get a little piece of cracker and a little tiny shot. You know, it's like... We're like, because that's, that's the only way to process it in large groups. And there's large and there's small settings. It's okay in your small group to go have communion and remember Jesus. Who said the pastor is supposed to walk you through that? It's something for us to remember Christ by. And they would do it in their homes. They would do it in a large place. They would do it as a celebration of Jesus. And they would partner together for that sake to make it happen. And so what I want to remind us is that this is about joy and coming together and celebrating in youth ministry we used to do these friday night meetings we would do them twice a month now that was after you had wednesday night with the students and you had sunday morning with the students and i would say okay we got twice a month friday night uh, leadership meetings anybody want to join up for that one people are like i don't want to lose my friday yeah especially since we would go from seven till about midnight every single leader meeting you're like that sounds horrible except for two things we had two rules in our meetings. We don't meet unless we eat. That was rule one. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. You bring food. It's so much better. And I'm not just talking pizza. It was fun. And the second one was you had to have fun. We spent most of that time playing Trivial Pursuit and other games. You're like, I'm totally not signing up now. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> we enjoyed each other. We celebrated what God was doing in the youth ministry. We celebrated together because it was about enjoying what Jesus was doing through us. Guys, you gather sometimes in small groups and you're serving. You have, a, you have a weekend team you're a part of. Some of you have a small group you're a part of. Some of you are gathered in the large group. This is a time to celebrate and I get it. We're busy. Trust me. Busyness is part of my life too. While I'm running my kids to, well, you know, I, I go to work and I work, trust me, I, I work more than today. Um, so I, 
I work on, I go to, back to work on Monday, I get off and I take my son, I get home, I eat just in time to grab my son, take him to scouts and I try to hang out with scouts here and there to help out or we do a meeting, me and my wife do to kind of calendar out the rest of our crazy life. I come home and the next day it's like work, come home, eat just as we're taking my, one of my, I have four kids so one of my sons goes off to soccer, the other one comes back and we try to make sure that happens and my daughter goes off to volleyball, we come home, we say hi, high five and go to bed. We get up, the next morning we do the same kind of routine until my kids are off their back and then we go to small group and before we go to small group we drop the kids off we make sure they're having fun up at youth and here. And then we drive to our small group. We get one hour to say hi to everybody, hug each other, listen to each other, whine and complain a little bit, and then pray for each other. And then we gather back because we don't like talking about the. No, I'm just kidding. But then we gather back and then we gather our kids before we overwhelm the children's ministry, make sure the youth ministry doesn't stay up till midnight again. And we drive all the way home, get up the next morning, go to work, come back. And then we take my kids to, um, to soccer, come home. My daughter goes to volleyball and then she comes home at 9 o'clock and we high five and go to bed. And that's my life right now. And that's if something doesn't happen on Friday. Because I'm going to preach Saturday and then I'm back here on Sunday and I'm going to take a nap when I get home. And so this is my life. I get it. We're busy. I'm busy. But you know what I don't want to be? I want to be Greg and I don't want to be my calendar. And when I sit at my small group while I joked about that, I'm known as Greg. I get an opportunity to open my heart up to unleash and talk through life. When I'm at church and I'm connecting with people, I'm Pastor Greg. But at my small group, I get to be Greg. And for me, that's healthy. And for all of you, it's necessary. Don't become your calendar. Find that time to be known and celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life. And that means we bring our joy and energy to our worship services. It means we bring our joy and our energy, all that we can muster to our small groups. And that we do this not alone. We don't just simply be the church by ourselves. No, we be and live out the way of Jesus together. Can you say that with me? Say together. Together. Say it. Together. Why together? Because notice how clearly this works. And all who believed were what? Together. And all and had all things in common. And again, he says, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Together is the central word of this text. They, them, together, together, together. Because you don't follow Jesus by yourself. In fact, there's an interesting scourge happening upon the Western culture right now. Heard this statistic a couple times last week. The average American right now has 1.56 friends. The reason it's only 1.56 is apparently they murdered the other half of the other friend. But <laughs> the average is only 1.56. It used to be higher, obviously, like three or four friends. The higher your Facebook friends go, the less likely you can identify somebody who's your true friend. Loneliness is exploding amongst the youngest generation. So much suicide rates are accelerating with it as well. It's so bad in the UK. The UK government produced a minister of loneliness position that they filled as a government post to oversee and watch loneliness factors in the United Kingdom. It is so such a dramatic problem because of how we've segmented and broken our society up and then broken it even down even more with the social media. It's not causation, it's correlation, but there is a very intense aspect of this. And how has the church responded to this huge loneliness epidemic? We show up and gather as a church less than we've ever done in the history of the American church. The average churchgoer is down to one time a month. 
average. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing too. Well, come on. (laughs) Day by day, attending the temple together. Guys, they were gathering together in large groups. Temple could hold upwards of five, 6,000 people. I mean, we're going to see there's, this is going to add thousands of people and thousands of people. It says at the end of this passage that they were adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. This is a growing, continuous group, and it's growing larger and larger and larger. Apparently, Jesus liked the big church to grow because he wanted his movement to move. And big is about movement. Let me, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to be a big church. It's wrong to try to find the personal connection in big church. That's where the small group comes in. Somewhere to be known. Somewhere to be connected. That's why we volunteer, so you can use your gift. But big church, big stuff, that's about movement. That's about celebration. That's about what God's wanting to do through us as we go out those doors. It's about the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. And the the small is the breaking of bread, the gathering together in the homes. But we can't avoid these. Right now, Justin told me that we've got 500 um, of our people at Olive Ranch who aren't in small groups. 500 of us who, who aren't. Now, that means about 500 of you are. So about half of us are not in small group. And, and that distresses us because, look, not only can one pastor not minister to 500 people, one pastor can't minister typically to 200 people. The average, the, in fact, the, the, the pastoral level of care for a pastoral care is about 105 people. Weird numbers, but this is how it works. You only do about 100 people till that pastor has to add staff or, or do something else called distribute care. And the way you distribute care is through small group leaders. So you guys are small group leaders. You care about your people. You know their names. You know their needs. You, you dive in. You're able to pray with them. Hopefully you're reporting those needs up so we can be caring for each other. And we're praying for each other. And if I show up, it means you're probably dying. So don't freak out. Or I'm your friend. But it's one of those. Um, No, but the point is that that care isn't bad that one central pastor isn't doing it. It means that the church is functioning. I'm the equipment manager. It means I've equipped and hopefully we've equipped you well enough to bring that care to other people. But you're ministers of the same gospel in the same way of Jesus. And if 500 of us are outside of that, you're outside of our care. And that scares us because we want to ensure that you are receiving care and training and growth in your faith as, as is our job. This is our calling. And so you can join a small group. You can use that card right there. Just pull out that green. People go like, how do I do this? It's very simple. Get the app, open it, and press next step. And then go down to the bottom and says find small group and click on that when you hit small group. And, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to give Justin a heart attack. I'm, I'm slightly joking. I would, love, I would love the mantra around here to be like, make Justin work. Make Justin work. No, it's just because we're all jumping in on small groups and he's going like, I got to find new small group leaders. I got to because he's got everybody asking, I want to be in a small group. That's the heartbeat of being together. Big, some of you love big. You want to be anonymous. You don't want to be known. You don't want people knowing your problems. You don't want people knowing your junk. Jesus already knows my junk, my problems. I'm good with that. And I'm just going to say, yeah, well, Jesus also gave you a church to be a part of. And he's commanded us to care about your problems. We got to care about each other. You see, we come together to live this out. We live the way of Jesus. This isn't something we just go do. This is something we come together with. And we need this because, look, while there is time that you need some solidarity, meaning you got alone time, and all the parents just screamed in their heads, amen, right? There are some of you, you don't need more alone time. 
all the single people in the room just said, Amen. Because here's the thing, solidarity for a time is good, but isolation is deadly. And the danger is many of our singles are falling into isolation. And as isolation locks them away, they find themselves incapable of having the relationships. This is the time they get the relationships. There's small groups the time they get relationships. And they need human beings. God designed us not to be alone. And some of us who have been called into ministry should be starting small groups and giving opportunities for singles to gather around. We'll talk about this more in our singles series we're coming up to next Um, start next week but just as a reminder that we need to live that way of Jesus together you can't live it by yourself alone Christian is an oxymoron it doesn't exist we have to do this together and the biggest point is that we are to live this way of Jesus together not just talk about it not just know it not just get excited about it and sing about it we got to live it it's got to come out notice Again, it says that they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and the breaking bread, and the prayers. Again, fellowship being that gathering to accomplish something. Prayers is something we should be doing together. Corporate prayer was actually invented by Jesus. It was something the Christians began doing. It wasn't something the Jewish synagogues did. It wasn't something that, that, that happened that Islam invented. No, they took that from the churches. The churches gathered because we prayed together. Very interesting. Because we know that God is amongst us. He hears our prayers. We know Jesus intercedes on our behalf. I was raised pretty much in a secular home. Like we, we, t- we talked about Jesus, but I mean, pretty much it was secular. So we didn't do a lot of praying. Most praying I did was around a dinner table where we said grace, right? And, and so what happens is that there wasn't this other kind of prayer going on. So when I became a Christian, I started going like, oh, we're doing prayer. This is going to be cool. I want to know what this is. Well, I was gifted with preaching and teaching. I wasn't necessarily gifted with the stuff that comes with prayer. And so when I sat in prayer meetings, I was like, man, these are the worst sermons I've ever heard in my life. Now, all of you guys are going, I'm never praying around Greg. So it's like, <laughs> but my point was, I'm hearing it as like, hey, everybody, listen to me while I talk to God. And to be honest, I have a hard time going to prayer meetings where it's just one person talking to God and everybody's got to listen. And suddenly something shifted in me when I was in Thailand a, a few years ago. My wife and I got to go there out to visit Scott and Casey. We sat in a small restaurant, and we, were gonna, we ordered some food. We are sitting across with their pastor out there, Pastor Pai, awesome guy, um, and his wife. That was a bad pun. And so as we are uh, sitting together, we are about to pray. We're like, let's, let's pray for the meal, right? Grace, okay, here we go. I'm like, okay, who's going to pray? They said, hold on, we do this differently in Thailand. I go, okay says, we're all going to pray at the same time, and one of us will quickly close. I'm like, what? Okay. He's like, it'll be weird, but try it. Okay. So we all bowed our heads, and all of us prayed at the same time. Here's the awesome thing. Nobody had to listen to each other's prayers, but God's capable of hearing all of our prayers at exactly the same time. He doesn't need you to be his listening device. Well, how can I amen it if I don't know what they've prayed? Exactly. You're amening what you said. Amen means so be it, Lord. You're asking him for this, and you say, so be it, Lord. And so we all pray together. My wife, who usually doesn't like to pray out loud, prayed out loud right there next to me. And together, this murmur rose in the room. And then one person kind of quickly closed, and we amened his clothes, and that was it. And I'm like, I'm sold. This is efficient. This is American. This is awesome. You know, it's like, I'm just kidding. But no, it was just, it was theologically right. It was theologically true. 
Now, I love praying over people, and I think we should be doing this in service. We're talking about how we're going to adjust that and grow that, and even in, in bringing more prayer into our social media. I love prayer. I'm not knocking prayer. I think we should do more of it. They were devoted to it. I'm just saying, God is not offended if you pray differently. If, now, you pray in Jesus' name, and you pray to the Lord Jesus, but hey, if you like to hold your hands and bow your head and take your hat off, good. If you like to raise your arms and point your eyes in the sky like Jesus did, I'm not going to stop you. If we all want to pray exactly at the same time because God can hear us, and one person close, let's do it. In Thailand, they will speak the prayer request, and everyone will pray in the room, and then the guy will close. And they'll speak another prayer request, and everybody prays in the room, and the guy will close. That's corporate prayer. There's all kinds of ways to do prayer beyond just the ways that we've been trained. I think we need to begin to grow in those ways and develop in those things. Now, that was a bad confession by the pastor that he doesn't like prayer. But again, I'm not not praying. I'm just letting you guys know this is something I'm growing in and something we all can grow in. But also, I want to focus in on this fellowship because it's not just about knowing it. It's about doing it. It's about living this out. And here's what they said. They said, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, first and foremost, I just need to say something. This is not socialism, and it is not communism. Can we please stop using this verse for that? This is the gospel lived out. That's why it offends me. These people were not forced by some state government or apostles. You must give your stuff away. No, there's no force. This was done because Jesus Christ had given them everything they could ever need for eternal life and beyond. And they looked at their stuff and said, what do I need this for if I have all of heaven and all of the kingdom of inherent, inherited that Jesus Christ has is mine? You have need, I'm willing to give it to you because I love you. That's love you're reading, not communism. You cannot force virtue. It comes from within as the living God dwells in you guys. You know what I love about this church? You guys are generous. The living God dwells in you. You're generous with your time. I mean, if you're a guest here, you're looking at a church that's willing to give thousands of hours of volunteer hours to care. Yes, we say, hey, for membership, you got to do that. But you know what? You do it out of your own free will. You care about those kids in the nursery so that somebody can get baptized. You try to train people and you make coffee so, so people are felt welcome at our church and have something that they can connect with. Guys, we do what we do because Jesus has done what he has done for us. And when that comes out, we begin to meet needs because Jesus has shaped and changed us. But here's the thing. All this, and they were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing proceeds to all. It says, as any had need. While we are an extremely generous church, one of the things I've noticed is that we're also Americans. And we don't want to say that we need. How can we help the needy? How can we meet a need if you don't know there's a need? And we've been taught, don't reveal your need. It shows you're weak. Those words may not be used, but it's implied. We've been, in, we've been argued, it's your fault if you're in need somehow. What if you're in need because God is calling you to lean upon him and lean upon his people? Because he wants to show you that he loves you. What if need isn't there as a negative thing? What if need is there as an opportunity to express the love that Jesus Christ has shown to us. 
And maybe we need to take a step out and say, yeah, I'm in need. And we can pray. We can actually meet that need. What I want to do is I want to take a minute. I want to actually challenge us on something. This is a room sizable enough. I mean, last service, it was small. But I know if there was need in that service, there's need in this service. Some of you in this room today, you're facing a financial situation that you do not know how you're going to meet. Some of it's too big for us right now to solve. Some of it is, is just right for you to solve. It doesn't matter to me. If you have a financial need right now, you need to let it be known. And I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to be extremely humbling and difficult. It makes me nervous just asking, just so you know, because I, I would be like, I'm just as uncomfortable, but I believe this is what God's called us to do today. That if you have a financial need that you can't meet and you woke up this morning as these other people told me this morning and last night, they didn't know what was going to happen or where it was going to come from. If that's you this morning, I'm asking you to come up here. I want you to stand up here and I want to pray over you. Or just ask that you would come forward to emphasize and show your need. So I'm asking you to do that. This is the challenge. I'm going to wait here until somebody responds. Because I know it's out there. let this time pass. Don't, don't, if you've got that need, it doesn't matter. You may not even go to this church and you got the need. That's fine. Let's pray over these three together, would you? Father, I just lifted them up to you and I ask that your blessing would be upon them. God, these needs that we don't, we don't know verbally at the moment, you know full well. And while this financial need is heavy, I just ask that you would release it. And God, even in a small way today, bless them and enable them to come from here and be able to walk knowing that you see them. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Let's stay here for one second. I gave you guys a dollar as you came in today. Now, you may need that dollar, then I want you to put it in your pocket and leave, okay? Keep it. But the reason I gave you the dollar was not a refund on your tithe. That's not the point. So I gave it to you as a way that even, even so all of us in this room, regardless of who we were, no matter our age, would have an opportunity to give something. And I want you guys to do me a favor. Take that dollar. If the dollar's all you got, bring it up to one of these people and hand it to them. If you want to add to that dollar to help meet their needs, would you come up and do that right now? Man's just going to play softly as we do that. Just bring that need forward. And let's meet them. is alive in you and he's alive in the
the church. There's something great about this. And I want to reference one thing. If you were looking and watching, going, why didn't I go up? I had a huge need. Why didn't I go up? Know that we also have a benevolence at our church. Let your need be known. We want to meet that need. We want to care about you because you're part of this church because you're here. See, here's the thing. For those of you who might just be watching, you may, you may be just a guest today and you never followed Jesus. What you're seeing is an illustration, a visual illustration of God's love. See, I'm, I'm a guy who can confess to you that while I maybe not have been in material poverty, I'm a spiritual failure. I failed my family. I failed my God. I have failed other human beings every day of my life. You may resonate with that fact that there's this big pit of debt that I owe to God that I can't pay off. I can't be good enough. I can't get it done. And this is the thing. While I made the mess, Jesus is willing to clean it up. While none of us are responsible for however anything got to where it gets to financially or otherwise, we need to be willing to clean it up and help each other out. And today I want to say these this man, these women, and these others that have come forward and all these services have been extremely brave to humble themselves this way. I'm asking you to just be the similarly brave. You'd be willing to actually open your heart up to let Jesus pay off your debt you owe to God. To stop trying to pay it off on your own way in your own time and your own thing. You can't do it. It's just not good enough. We're too big of a mess. But God loves you anyway. He's willing to pay for it through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Would you bow your heads with me? Because if that's you today, you have this chance right now to receive that gift from God. And I want to give you that chance right now just by putting your hand up. You're saying, that's me. I need the forgiveness of my sins, my failures. And I need Jesus to pay for it. I have no other way. If that's you, would you just put your hand up high enough that I can see it? I got bright lights in my eyes and I want to be able to pray over you walk you through a prayer. My God, I just lift up those with their hands up. And you hear their cry of their heart right now. Would you help them please just to develop after you and receive this gift that you have for them. I pray that you would bless them and help them now as they are asking to receive that gift. I ask it in Jesus' name that you would help them. Amen.